0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction, the only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian-scientist come together to discuss science, comedically.
1: Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 606. Science Faction, put me out of business, but don't give me Parkinson's. You want the carrot or the stick, Bob? You can't have both. <laughs> this is this is the much longer version of "I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy." <laughs>
0: <laughs> All the archaeologists who uh, fight AI will be granted Parkinson's. <laughs> is this? Eh,
1: close enough. (laughs) Bobby, just get out of the biz. Let the robot handle it. Don't be a martyr. (laughs) And speaking of the archaeologist who fights AI, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. And with me, as always, this is my comedian, Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how you doing this afternoon?
0: I'm doing wonderful. Uh, I'm I'm picturing you fighting AI, and it's way less cool than, like, the Terminator series had me believe. It's like you writing publishing papers on archaeology,
1: but competing against an AI. (laughs) No, it's just me sucker-punching a guy named Alan Anderson, uh, who happens to be an accountant in Toledo, Ohio. He has nothing to do with any
0: of this. Oh, I'm a hemophiliac. Why would you do that? Oh. I have a family. Why would you do this?
1: Officer, I don't know what happened. And a random blonde guy came up and yelled, fuck you, Skynet, before kicking me in the balls.
0: And the uh, officer just repeats into his microphone, dark-skinned male assaulted. Accountant, um, sir, no, it was a blond man. looked like he looked like he was in the military or perhaps an officer of the law. That's right. Three dark-skinned males just attacked this man. <laughs>
1: Oh, dear. And if you're interested in being attacked in Toledo, Ohio by a crazed archaeologist, then go ahead and check out our Patreon at Robert Timothy on Patreon, where you'll get a whole second episode of Science Faction every single week with I Call BS, where you'll learn four different science news articles every week.
0: My wife's family is from Ohio. And, you know, keep in mind, you know, she supports Ohio State despite never going there or living in Ohio just mm. because it's a family tradition. And sure. I will say nobody talks shit about Ohio towns like people from Ohio. I have heard nothing good about Toledo. It's just a shithole. And I i will never go. Not
1: on my list. <laughs> I mean, I think that proves that people from the Midwest are honest. <laughs> Let's not get political on this. Before we get started, though,
0: if you're looking for another podcast to check out, check out Awful Neutral. It is my Dungeons and Dragons live play podcast. And take the opposite of whatever Bobby says at face value. He is, as much as he hates it, that is as good as it is. I promise you we've converted a lot of people. His hatred is ideological. We take some of the funniest people uh, in San Diego comedy scene, uh, many of whom are friends of Bobby, and we try to put out the funniest damn adventure every week for uh, we play a lot of games besides Dungeons and Dragons. Check us out. I think you'll like it.
1: Yeah. And listen, I'm not going to tell you not to go listen to Damien's podcast. I'm not- You've said that many times. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically you should be saying it to yourself, but but <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. What I am going to say is this. Uh, I'm sure Damien can find something good to say about his podcast. I mean, uh, you can you can think of something good to say about almost anything, but- It's hilarious. Imagine if somebody, it's fucking hilarious. Imagine if somebody was here- pitching heroin to you. And they're like, listen, it's going to make you feel so good. You're going to lose weight. Uh, You're going to meet new interesting people and and do things you've never done before. And you're like, wow, that all sounds great. Except if you know what heroin actually is. And the only difference between me and you guys is I know what heroin actually is in the form of Dungeons & Dragons. And I'm trying to tell you, yes, you will lose weight, but uh, it'll be a lot of muscle and teeth weight. And uh, yes... (laughs) You will feel good temporarily before then feeling bad indefinitely for the rest of your life every time you're not high. And like, yes, you will meet new and interesting people and blow them in alleys for small amounts of what will later. That's already fun. But I mean. Anyway, don't listen to that fucking podcast. All right, let's move right on <laughs> to science
0: articles. Dungeons and Dragons is the opiate of the masses. From molecules to particles, this is science articles?
1: Uh, dear! Article number one, putting
0: me out of business. Oh, is there uh, an asshole machine that does it better than you? I refuse to believe it. Yeah, it's Bobby. called a
1: Fletchlight. <laughs> <laughs> Had him for a while. Asshole, catch up. You just have to pretend it's an asshole. <laughs> No, they make asshole specific fleshlights. What are you in the sixties? You don't know how the world works anymore?
0: <laughs> the best anal sex analogy I heard was when I was in like tenth grade and I heard it from uh and I heard it when I was a virgin, uh years before uh-huh. I would ever have vaginal sex. Okay. And it was I was asking this guy who um you know, his answer tells me he knew a lot more about sex than I was giving him credit for at the time. Sure. He said, if having sex is like riding a bike. Anal sex is like riding a bike uphill. And so it's just a little more,
1: it's you're putting in more work. There's something oddly said about that. I don't know what the, like I, I don't know what the epistemological basis of his <laughs> thoughts were, but there does seem something that is very like, what is the sound of one hand cla- Like, what is the sound of one anus penetrated? Dude, I, I, I <laughs> The sound is, Ah! <laughs> <laughs>
0: But that's what when you when you when you talk about an anal fleshlight, that's what I'm thinking. Like why, unless it's costs significantly less, Mm -hmm. I couldn't see the appeal of buying this
1: this fleshlight. It hurts the fleshlight more. Like it's more degrading to the fleshlight. That's why you're doing
0: it. I like my penis to stink after sex a lot more. (laughs)
1: No, this is a very, very interesting article, and it's all about using artificial intelligence and and AI learning to find prehistoric sites without using archaeologists, i.e. putting me out of business. Yes, um, this is in the same way that Dr. Grant was afraid
0: Jurassic Park would put him out of business, except uh, you're being put out of business by machines and not uh, murder dinosaurs.
1: Yes, you're right. So in a way, I am kind of the inspiration for the Terminator series.
0: There's are so many movies we're mixing up, Bobby.
1: Which <laughs> are you a well, T1000? you? A... Yes, I'm being put out of business by the machines, which I have to fight back against. Hence, why they based John Connor off of me.
0: Okay, I was about to say you're you're John Connor. All right, uh, then I am Sarah Connor, your mother figure from Hungary. <laughs>
1: Now finding sites like this, just basically from like satellite imagery or something using AI is kind of the holy grail of a field called remote sensing. So remote sensing is its own field that has a lot to do with archeology, span but can also be used in botany and wildlife biology and a bunch of stuff. And it's basically what it sounds like. It's figuring out what's going on from far away. Remote sensing has a lot of different components. We have aerial photography, something that I'm very involved in in archeology, span satellite photography. It can be done using things like Mac magnetometers in the water or sonar, side scan sonar in the water. We could use something like LIDAR, which is those cool images you see of laser radar mixes that show you what's underneath the trees and how we're finding, you know, huge villages and stuff in Belize. So all of that is remote sensing. It's basically seeing something from far away. And the goal has always been not just to sense it, not just be able to see something that we already know, you know, that's a site, but to actually find new sites given some kind of information. Now, I will say this is the holy grail of remote sensing for quite a few reasons. One, it would, you know, it's much cheaper and easier than putting archaeologists on the ground. You'd be able to do a lot more work, basically you could you could survey the whole globe and try and find stuff, very very interesting stuff. But the reality of the situation is much harder than you think. And I will say this, this is a technology that would put me particularly out of business. In archaeology, my specialty, so to speak, is I run around in the mountains and the deserts and run. places. Run? you Bobby? You're, you're, that's the yeah, method of travel? Uh, it's, you're uh, choosing. No, it's a brisk walk. I run around the, the, out there and I look around the ground looking for prehistoric sites. When I find them, I map them and then report them to the state or county or feds or whatever. And so that's my deal. Like if this was a very effective technology, it would literally put me out of business tomorrow. And you know what? I'm OK with that cuz i i love my job i love running out into the woods i love finding prehistoric sites nobody's ever discovered before i cannot describe to you the feeling that it that comes in your body when you find a prehistoric site that's you know 2000 years old nobody has recorded this somebody probably hasn't seen it in in you know some 1000 years or something like that and you are the first person to stumble across and record that thing i cannot tell you what that feels like but i can tell you that it is desperately needed Meaning that there are people, and and by the way, I can find prehistoric sites anywhere. I've done it on vacation in Europe before. Uh, I work all around the United States. I've done it in South America. But I am you a never specialist. go on break. This
0: badge that I got <laughs> when I graduated gives me the license to practice archaeology anywhere on the planet. The gun, however, yes, I will turn yes. that in, officer. <laughs>
1: but that that was my own addition, yes, and I did file down that pin to make it fully auto. I did, yes. How, however, you're not taking the whip off me. So I am, even though I I can find prehistoric sites anywhere, I am a specialist in San Diego County with this type of culture and these type of stuff, and I can find them. And frankly, we need more people like me, specialists in their area, running around finding this stuff because every day more of them get destroyed and we'll never have another one. We've got as many as we'll ever have. And every day we lose some because something gets developed or run over or a road gets put through or something. So we need people going out and finding these sites. It's incredibly important. It's one of the reasons that I personally accepted pay way less than I should, should have earned, but it was because, hey, there's a big ass piece of land out there. There's some prehistoric sites. I know that. Let me get out there. I will find those things, put them on a map. And then when they put their developments in, their subdivisions or whatever, they don't have to destroy them. And to me, that's very important. So if we had AIs that could read this type of data almost anywhere on Earth and give you a good prediction of where those prehistoric sites should be. It doesn't mean it would be definitive. You couldn't say there's nothing except where those those things are, but it would give you a really good idea of where to start looking. And I can tell you as a person who kind of, again, who does this for a living, who does the human version of this for a living, it's not unrealistic. Because frankly, when you've done this for 10 or so years, you start getting to the point, and I can can do this, Damien, I'll do this with you sometime. We'll go on a hike sometime and I'll show you. I can walk out into an area that I've never been to before in San Diego County and pretty much point to where the prehistoric sites are. And that's just because you have gotten so good at finding, you know, I've discovered thousands of sites in my, my 15 some odd year career. So I can kind of have these subconscious cues or sometimes conscious ones. There's water, there's oak trees, there's good granite for milling, there's this, there's that, there's this. And sometimes you're looking for specific things like that. And sometimes your brain just kind of gives you a spidey sense and they're like, You should double check over there and you don't know why you just trust it. You go do it. And I would say nine times out of 10, I will find a prehistoric site in a place that gives me no clear features or no clear indications that are telling me ahead of time. So there's something that my subconscious is recognizing and there's no reason we can't teach that type of thing to an AI, which is much better at it, which could then look over the whole world's landscape and say, look here, 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 and here. Here's the thing, though, Bob. You challenged
0: me, a layman, to this, to, uh-huh. to watch you do this. And how the hell do I know you're not water divining? How the hell do I, do I know that I'm not just being bullshit by a grand bullshit artist?
1: I would then take you to a bunch of artifacts that are sitting on the ground. I have seen artifacts from
0: the particular portion of history you were talking about, and it all look, just looks like rocks. It all looks <laughs> like rocks. I, I can find you flakestone lithics. You show me a black and decker. I'll...
1: <laughs> there's ceramics. There's There's pottery. Every time I've been out with you, it's rocks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's more likely to be lithics, but anyway, like, listen, we'll, we'll mark it and we'll figure it out. We'll call it somebody else yeah, I, yeah, I, I want How a third that?
0: party, and uh, and if we could get them to be as dedicated as you are about it, we could probably don't even have to pay them to tell them this no. is this
1: is, a, this is an archaeological honor bet. Yeah, I have a couple dozen students that I think are still looking for intern credit. That'll that'll work. Oh <laughs>
0: no 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 no, they're your students. They have hegemonic. I want the bad boy <laughs> of the
1: class. <laughs> I actually am the bad boy of the class. I come in to teach wearing a backwards hat and I do that thing where I pull the chair up backwards too so the kids know I can rap with them.
0: You know, the leakies were kind of like the Jay-Z of their time. (laughs) Why is he rap why is he bring rap into this?
1: Excuse me, Mr. Timothy, uh, we get the whole archaeology curriculum, that part makes sense. Could you please explain to me why, after almost every point you've made, you've yelled the words, what, what? <laughs> it was a different time. Are you guys familiar with, with Diminutive John? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Uh, so anyway, this article comes out of a research group working in Alaska. We've actually covered some of their work before. I believe it was in I Call BS. And these guys use an artificial intelligence to try and find prehistoric sites. The neat thing about Alaska is even though it's in the New World in North America, it has some really old sites because it uh, overlaps with parts of Beringia. So they were working in a valley that actually had a lot of sites dating back to 14,500 years old. Most of the North or South America doesn't have more than a few sites stated like that. So uh, very, very cool. And they were able to kind of show the different topographic features that these prehistoric sites had. So basically they went to an area, found a whole bunch of sites. Then they taught the computer, hey, this is what these sites look like. Then they let the computer do its own work, look over some areas they hadn't been to before and say, where do you think the sites will be? So this AI they use uh, called LeMap, which is their acronym. That's French for the map. Yes, (laughs) L-A-M-A-P. They basically were able to teach it enough that when it looked over kind of like raw areas and raw data, it was able to locate a bunch of sites. Now they had already... The, these sites were already located. They were registered on the state of Alaska's heritage database, but the researchers didn't know where the sites were. So all they had to do was show them this land, let the AI sweep over it. Okay, where do you think the sites are? And then instead of having to go and actually look for them, they could actually just pull up the records that the state of Alaska already has. Very, very interesting stuff. Again, this is really important because if we can start finding these prehistoric sites, especially the really old shit, if we can start finding that and getting that recorded and getting that preserved, it's so important so much of it is gone. So much of that stuff along the Holocene boundary that marks the arrival of human beings into the new world is underwater because those people were coast hopping and the sea- the shoreline was 410 feet lower. And so, so much of the early stuff is necessarily underwater that if there is anything that is still up above ocean levels and, and not paved over, we got to get to it soon because it won't be around for too much longer. And these super, super old sites are incredibly rare. I do like especially that... In working in LaMap, they were trying specifically to get it to recognize old sites older than 10,000 years old, which to me are some of the most important ones. They're also far and away the most rare and something that is going to help tell us a lot about the settling of the Americas. It uses information from the landscape to estimate the archaeological potential of land that hasn't been looked by archaeologists using land that has been, which is kind of what we do with archaeology students and have done for hundreds of years, which is we take them out to a place that has sites, we show them what those sites look like, show them how to recognize them, and then we take them out to places that have sites, walk them around, and try and get them to be able to recognize when they're walking over a site. And how do they stack up against the AI? Well, My kids off, do pretty African- well, dude. I'll, I'll tell you what. So we I do a field school every summer, which is I teach a, a group of students at the local university. how to do archaeology. And uh, I have a... Kind of like a motto, which is that everybody here sucks, but most of you don't have to suck for long. Which is when you start, like if I take somebody out into the field, I will, uh, especially if it's you know like doesn't have major bedrock milling features and stuff, I will literally just walk people through sites and they will not know they're in the middle of a site. They're not re- going to recognize those artifacts. They they suck at it basically. But I walked past a totem pole. Bobby called me on that. I had no idea that was. Well, especially the kids who pay attention, it doesn't take long for what you would call your pattern recognition, your ability to recognize artifacts. It doesn't take long for that to start developing. After about a week, it starts getting pretty good if you're training all day long, which our kids are doing. And then after about two weeks, you'll almost not miss stuff. It's pretty rare that you'll miss stuff after about two weeks. And after about three weeks, you're good to go, man. I'll put you on a survey. I'll take you with me. I'll trust that you're going to get stuff for the most part. you You know, there's a couple of kids who won't get it, but... It it is not a long process, but it's a very thorough process to get a person into that because it just takes you have to see 150 or 200 artifacts before your eyes start recognizing what that artifact is and separating it from the world around it.
0: All right. Grad Stutes beat AI. I think that should have been the article.
1: Yeah. And, it, and they will have to at some point. And we're going to see this type of technology do amazing things because not only will it be able to find these super important sites that we otherwise cannot find, but their interest is actually looking at submerged sites off the coast. Because remember, most of the contact sites that we would imagine that when people were first coming down into the Americas, most of those are underwater. Right, so they're actually getting to try and get this AI developed to the point where they can use these to find underwater sites too. I actually have a friend who is working on a similar project here in San Diego where they're they're dragging side scan sonar, another remote sensing technology. They're dragging it along the San Diego coast looking for caves that are 300-something feet deep, underwater caves, because those would have been just above the surface at the time humans first occupied the area along the shoreline. And then a guy is going to go down with a very special tri-gas mixture because you can't dive 300-something feet with regular scuba equipment. So he's a buddy of mine who's a, a underwater archaeologist is going to dive with very, very special gas and a whole bunch of fucking checks and balances to make sure his body doesn't blow up when he comes up. He's going to dive down 300-some-odd feet and look in every one of those caves to see if he can't find the earliest evidence of the occupation of the Americas.
0: The plot to so many horror movies could happen.
1: <laughs> what if it's just a really lame one with incredibly high-priced scuba gear?
0: I can't rise more than a foot an hour. I don't know what the math is on this. <laughs> they kept my
1: tank deposit! <laughs>
0: And that's why I'll never go with Southern California scuba rental
1: again. Oh, uh, very, 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 very cool. And, and it also brings us close to something which I've thought of for a long time, which is whether you think you have chemistry or in this case, archaeology, archaeology might be a little bit harder. At some point, you know, a machine will be able to find this site, you know, an archaeology site no one's ever seen before. An AI will be able to scan and say, we think it's going to be here. Then it'll send a drone equipped with a special pattern recognition camera to go check it out and confirm. Yes, there is a site here and here are the artifacts and the constituents within the site and stuff. And then at some point, some AI will be able to publish site records uh, of what was going on at that site, just like we archaeologists do and, you know, send it to the right authorities and stuff like that. And eventually, science will be done without scientists. I, you know, this is much more of a thing for something like, you know, organic chemistry, where we could imagine computers compiling different molecules, creating them in an assay test, and then, you know, uh, filing patents on the, the molecules they produce or whatever. Um, so that's probably a little quicker. But the fact of the matter is, what is interesting is that at some point, science will be beyond scientists. And Damien, I think at least the beginning of that portion will be within our lifetimes. In what field specifically? You're talking about organic
0: chemistry. You're saying that even the the, the lawyers that have to file the patents will be robots?
1: Yes, they will. I, I think math probably. Some forms of like really abstract math might be the first ones. Maybe certain forms of uh, like physics and chemistry and stuff. I think some maybe some 3D protein bending structures because computers are, are really better at doing that than we are right now. Pharma-
0: pharmacologically, uh, you know, drug companies are using AIs to, yep. to, it, to
1: yeah. great effect. Totally. Yeah. So, so very, very interesting. Anyway, on to article number two, a gene to prevent Parkinson's. It's
0: more of a Jordash. You wear it and, um, it keeps those myelin sheaths
1: tight. No, Parkinson's isn't that one. That's MS. No, you're thinking of MS. Yeah. This is actually Gene Wilder and little known fact, he's the cure to Parkinson's, which is unfortunate. Sacrifice
0: your wife, Gilderranda, and it will cure Parkinson's. That's dark.
1: A lot of time has passed, though, so I feel like we got that. So this is a really interesting article that might totally change Parkinson's research. So a quick review. We've talked about Parkinson's a bunch of times on this podcast. Every time I do a quick review, because every time we probably forget about it, because you probably have Parkinson's. Uh, But to start (laughs) off. Lucky guess. (laughs) <laughs> is a neurodegenerative disease. It's uh, characterized by plaques in the brain and specifically by damage to the neurons of the substantia nigra, the dopaminergic neurons that create part of your dopamine, which is why one of the only treatments we have, we don't have any cures, but one of the only treatments we have is a drug called l Dopa, which, uh, as Damien points out, is also the name of a great Mexican wrestler.
0: Yes, El Dopa is currently on suspension for throwing
1: sand into an opponent's eye. And that, that opponent was Parkinson's. Are, are you sure he's not, not on suspension uh, under suspicion of being Russian? <laughs> trying to s- circumvent some
0: sanctions? Does it, Don't take my accent as proof of some sort of modern Zimmerman letter trying to get Mexico, and specifically El Dopa, to uh, initiate war with the United States. But I will body slam any American personnel, I see. Well... <laughs>
1: And Parkinson's is a horrible disease, you know. It, it part of the the problem with affecting dopamine is that unlike things like Alzheimer's, that leads to what we would consider like that uh, inability to control shaking that you might see in very famous Parkinson's cases, like Muhammad Ali or Michael J. Fox, and that is a lack of dopamine in the brain that that basically keeps you from being able to. Functionally and smoothly move your muscles. Horrible disease, really unfortunate. And the fact of the matter is, other than knowing that certain chemicals can bring it out, which is, by the way, what happened to Michael J. Fox and a bunch of other people on the same set of some Canadian shitty TV show he was on when he was like 14, that happened to them, but also there's a genetic predisposition that can happen, and we see that especially in early-onset Parkinson's. And then there's certain environmental fa- factors, a la the aforementioned Muhammad Ali, where you get your head beaten enough that we think that it literally causes physical damage to the substantia nigra, and you get Parkinson's that way. But we don't, like, have—other than don't get punched in the head and, like— don't drink the stuff in the 55-gallon drums on the Canadian film lot in 1983. Like, we don't have a lot of good advice on how to avoid Parkinson's.
0: If you smoke, you're less likely yes. to. So so I would recommend everybody smoke. And that way you'll know if you're predisposed to Parkinson's.
1: Both smoking and caffeine usage are negatively correlated with Parkinson's, meaning that the more you do either of those, the less likely you are. Now, I think you're still more likely to die of lung cancer or heart disease or something else, uh, so probably cut the smoking out of that, but uh, maybe the caffeine isn't so bad. But we have known that from previous studies that that a mutation in the FER2 gene causes Parkinson's-like deficiencies in flies. They also had observed defects in the shape of the mitochondria of the dopaminergic neurons, similar to those observed in Parkinson's patients. Basically, what they're saying is this gene seems to cause a problem with the mitochondria that are within dopaminergic cells in the brains, at least of flies, and therefore a mutated version of it is more likely to give you Parkinson's. Well, we knew that already. We knew that fucking up this gene could cause you Parkinson's. But these researchers thought, what if, since the absence of that FER2 gene causes Parkinson's-like symptoms, what if an increase in the amount of FER2 in cells could actually protect people or protect animals from Parkinson's disease? Uh, and the idea is that when any animal is expo- exposed to free radicals, their cells go undergo oxidative stress, meaning oftentimes they have to give up uh, an oxygen and then they are now polarized and there's a whole big deal. Anyway, basically, it is bad for your cells to undergo oxidative stress, and that can lead to problems in those dopaminergic neurons. However, when researchers did this thing where they basically gave extra FER2 to those flies... They were able to show that the oxidative stress, that stress that might have been causing the the precursors to that Parkinson's disease, no longer had any deleterious effects on the flies. Because the overproduction of that FER2 basically was protective of Parkinson's by stopping the oxidative stress that happens just incidentally to those cells.
0: Parkinson's is a long-term human disease. Uh, flies don't live that long. Is everything just really compressed, or is, that, or does yeah. it never really get that out of hand for the fly?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, if it, that wasn't the case, then flies could never live very long, because if they had to wait to be, like, 15 years old to have a kid... I, I mean,
0: probably make it easier to wipe them out if it took them that long to, uh, to procreate. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But super, super interesting where we're seeing, you know, we've talked about this before. A lot of times our cures and our treatments come from finding the most fucked up shit. Like we go, oh, man, FER2 is messed up. It causes a lot of Parkinson's. Well, what if we do the opposite, you know? And that's how this might lead to treatment. Now, this is all in fly models. This hasn't even been tested in mammals, much less people. Yet we have a long way to go before we're like, fuck it. We found out what's going on with Parkinson's. But this is very interesting and if these models transfer over to mice even just in mice models once we see it in a mammal man does that really seem like we might be knocking on the door to the answer for what causes parkinson's and possibly even the answer to what can stop it
0: how how are we pumping it into the flies do we uh create genes that that exert that more naturally or is it in their diet are we uh is it a suppository how do we do this to the fly or perhaps your child
1: yeah, they're genetically modified to overproduce FER2.
0: Okay, so we need to, uh, in order for this to work in humans, we have to CRISPR in India?
1: Or um... or we could, or, you know, we can find what the protein structure is and just add the protein itself or, or have your body do it. Yeah, either way. Or, you know, maybe MNRA vaccine type way to do it. You know, maybe we, we send some uh, RNA in your body, some messenger RNA, and your body produces it in your own ribosomes, just like we do with the, the two COVID vaccines. Yeah, this uh, this CRISPR is the wave of the
0: future. I'm all about it. I'm all about uh, 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 doing a Green New Deal and getting rid of those old antiquated ways to do science and vaccines, mainly because it's, it's messing with my genome would be the only way that within my lifetime I could become an X-Men. No, it's not. Oh, you know another way? Yes, you have not spent nearly enough time around radioactive waste. You haven't even tried it. Bobby, I watched Chernobyl. Um, I feel, I think... I think we may have been lied to. Seems pretty terrible to be around radiation.
1: Lied to? By Bruce Banner? Really? You heard
0: it here on Science Faction. Everybody, embrace radiation. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Like, no, literally, like, go hug a fucking carbon rod, an inanimate carbon rod. Just shove a smoke detector up your ass, see what happens. Yeah, just uh, collect 30 smoke detectors, and if the FBI doesn't track you down...
1: Oh, dear. Thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Faction 606, where you learned all about how researchers are about to be putting me out of business and how we may have discovered the gene to prevent Parkinson's. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 607. First, we dominate war. Then...
0: We dominate the economy. And lastly, we dominate archaeology. And with that, the world. You've been listening to Science Function. Wait, that's not right.